Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This is the last invitation that you'll read in your Bible. The closing words of the Bible within the final few verses, God himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, the Spirit says, come. The Lord himself has already made it plain throughout scripture that he invites us to come. And he also says, the bride says, come. So we see a picture of the Lord saying, I'm trying to get people to come. And the spirit is trying to get people to come. And the church is trying to get people to come. My question is simple. Why don't you come? Why don't you come to Christ? Why don't you come to the Lord for salvation? What prevents people from accepting Christ as their savior And if this invitation is so simple and so plain, why would anyone refuse not to come to Christ? And that's a great question, I think, to ask, especially in light of what's going on. Somebody asked me this week, uh, uh, they they were personal, I can't can't mention their name, uh, but they're under tremendous conviction and they're of another religion. And they have been watching our live stream. And they said, they said, I need to know, I need to know more. And I simply ask them, if I tell you more, will you come to Christ? And they said, well, I I can't do that. I said, well, then really, why should I waste my time? Now you'll think I'm rude about that, but sometimes people need a little shock in life. Just because you're in a church that we get blessed and we see some folks come to the Lord, that doesn't mean that we can coast from here to glory, folks. We've still got a responsibility. There's plenty of unsaved people out here that need to hear the message of Christ and they need to come to Christ. So back, oh, it's been years ago, I compiled a little list of the excuses that I have heard why people will not come. We know the Bible is full of invitation. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, you remember he taught that wonderful parable about a man that had a a supper and he sent out his servants to invite the people to come. They came back with three different people with three different excuses. And then he said, go out in the highways and, and into the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. He's not talking about a tangible house. He's talking about the the family of God, the kingdom of God, heaven. He wants wants people to be in heaven. That's his ultimate desire. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come under repentance. That's the will of God. You can always be sure of one thing. God wants people to be saved. Now, let let me stop right here. Don't ever, don't ever get upset with us if you come forward to pray and if we talk to you about salvation first the altar workers, don't be upset with them because that's our first responsibility. And why would I ever be angry if anybody ever asked me, are you saved? 
I shouldn't be angry at that. That should give me an opportunity to testify one more time that yes, my sins are forgiven. My name is written in the book of life. I know that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. Why don't people come? Well, one thing that I hear people say is uh, I'm just a visitor. I, I'm just here visiting today. I, I'm not here regularly and I'm only gonna be here a service or two and I'm gonna go on. So why, why do I want to join the church? Well, that's, that's where you're wrong. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm asking you to join the family. And you can be in the family wherever you go after this and God can give you a good local church where that you're at. I just wanna see you get in the family. You need to know that you're saved and on your way to heaven. You may, you may be here with a neighbor, with a friend, with a family member. They may have invited you. Our only goal, our only purpose today, and I say it without embarrassment, our only goal is to see you find forgiveness of sin and accept Christ into your life and to be prepared for the coming of the Lord and be prepared should you die before the coming of the Lord to go to heaven. Another thing I hear people say if I come to Christ and if I come forward, I don't know what to say. See, we are, we are the worst at this in our society. Every, every group of people, whatever their category is, they like to have certain lingo or language associated with that particular group to make others feel like they're unlearned about that group. For example, people in the medical field, I'm not bashing you, thank God for you, I love you. You got enough of my money, I ought to love you. I do, I love you though. But people in the medical field, they, they, they talk lingo that is, have you ever sat down in an office with someone and they read back your test and when you're done, you're saying, what does that mean? Somebody sent me through an email the other day and they talked about their condition and when they got through, I said, I don't have a clue what you want me to pray for because I've never heard of any of those terms before. I just don't know that. I know I'm unlearned in that, but I don't know how to pray if I don't know what, what really it means. And uh, I, sometimes Candy and I have a running joke at our house at her school that she works at they have acronyms for every program. And she'll talk about this program and that program. And I'll say, you just as well to tell me instead of uh, at the SCCTC, there's MOT and LPN and all these other pro. I said, you're just well to tell me they're getting an M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I just, I mean, it's everyday language to them. And sometimes in the church, we can be bad about that. The little boy was crying after church and his mom and dad said he wants to get saved and the pastor took him back into the pastor's study and set him down. He said, now son, do you know about the depravity of man? Are you willing to accept the, the vicarious voluntary death of Jesus Christ for the propitiation of your sins to have the justification of your soul? And do you understand that that's been applied to you? And the little boy got up and said, we better go to find someone who knows what they're talking about. 
All they need to know is that they have done wrong to God and done wrong to others and that God loves them and only Jesus has the power to forgive of sin and to change our life and by faith when we come and ask him, he said he would do it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You will not be asked to quote the Lord's Prayer if you come for prayer today. You won't be asked to name the 12 disciples because I'd be hard pressed to find 50 people in here that could name the 12 disciples. I'm not bashing anybody, it's just a fact. You know it, some of you read your Bible, but you're like me, your mind's so bad anymore you couldn't remember. You can't even remember your kids' names. So I'm not gonna ask you questions like that. You may be asked personally, do you want peace in your heart? And do you want to know that if you die, you go to heaven? But we're not going to ask you questions. We're not going to ask you to quote the Bible. The Lord doesn't say you have to be able to quote the Bible to go to heaven. When my dad got saved, he did not know John 3, 16. He didn't know a single verse of scripture. He was totally unchurched, but he got totally saved. And I'm here to tell you, you can be in church all of your life and still need to be saved, or you can know nothing about the Bible and still need to be saved. The good news is Jesus will save you. Some people will say, well, I'm not a bad person. Well, if going to heaven hinged on being good, first of all, Jesus would have died in vain. And he didn't die in vain. And the second thing is, How good do you have to be to go to heaven? And the third thing is, how bad do you have to be to go to hell? Who sets the standard? Who made you God and said you have to be this good to get to heaven and this bad, and if you're this bad, you're going to hell. It doesn't work that way. Let me give you a little example. I'm on this platform and don't worry, I'm not gonna do it. But I could get in the spirit and, and God move in a special way. And, and, and let, let's just say, let's put that, what your mentality is down to understand. Let's say if we determine the person that is the most full of the spirit of God to judge that, they'll be able to jump from here to the back wall of this building. That's the goal. Now, granted, if I come off here toward Paul Clark, he would move, or Paul uh, Jones, he would move. I promise you he would move. And I'd get over the edge and fall on my face. I'm not very athletic. This body was built for homecomings, it wasn't built. Okay, you got it, don't you? But we've got some young men, young women here in the church, they're very athletic and you know, some of them, they could jump off here, I've seen I've seen them jump almost back to the first row of seats there. That's about the farthest. But some could jump farther than others. But in the end, none of them can make it to the back wall. When it comes to going to heaven, we all miss the mark. It's not how far we go in life, how good we are. I'm glad you're good. I'm glad you're a good person. But we all miss the mark. And we all need to be saved. 
and you're missing the point if you're trying to do it. Now, once you get saved, I, I tell people all the time, they'd say, well, preacher, you, you know, I'm this denomination, I'm that denomination. I belong to the Baptist, I belong to the Pentecostal, I belong to the Wesleyan, I belong to this, that, that. And, and listen, I'm not bashing any of that, but look right here. I don't care what you are, but I do care if you're a good one or not. Whatever you are, be a good one. If you come to this church, you be a good member of this church, a good part of our family. When you come to this church and you say the name of the church, then you be, you be good. And by the way, if you're doing things that's bad, please don't tell people you go to this church. I'm amazed. I'm not even on social media. Do you think people don't tell me what you all are doing? They can't wait to tell on some of you. And by the way, I can't believe what some of you all do. Moving right along. Another thing that I hear quite frequently is, well, I'm a church member. I'm a, I'm a church member. I don't, I don't need to come to Christ. I'm already a member of a church. Well, that can really be a dangerous thing because there's some people that won't even consider coming to Christ because when you grow up in church, it's real easy to find a comfortable place and to just fall in and fool yourself. Junior Hill gave a tremendous illustration. It brought, brought me back in my mind. I've seen it happen in a few revivals that I've been in, but uh, every night he was on the platform. I don't know if you know Junior Hill. He's a phenomenal preacher, and uh, he's, he's just a great, great man of God. Up in years now, not able to go like he used to go, but he was holding a meeting, and he's probably one of the greatest uh, encouragers for Christians and pastors and church leaders. He just got the sweetest spirit about him. And he is very keenly aware of people. He can look at people and sense certain things about people. So two or three nights into this revival, he told the pastor, he kind of turned his back until they couldn't hear. And he said, there's a lady sitting so many rows back and where she was located. And he said, every night she is crying uncontrollably while I'm preaching. What's the problem? And the pastor said, she's lost. He said, well, why doesn't she get saved? And he said, she's married to one of the leaders. She grew up in this church and he told her, don't you ever go forward and get saved because you'll embarrass me. Now you look at me right now. I don't care who you're gonna embarrass. Don't let pride keep you out of heaven. I'm sorry that it happens, but it does happen. There's some people that grow up in church and they think they grow into salvation, but you can grow up in church and not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. It happens all the time. There's wheat and there's tares in the field. The Bible's teaching in the church, there's weeds that's growing up just like there's wheat growing up. And the only way that we can get to a place of really making sure that we're right with God is don't ask some somebody else, make sure you're right with God. Some people say, well, I've been saved, but I, I've come to the Lord, but I, I can't 
publicly confess it. That you can't personally and privately claim salvation. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father that's in heaven. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we realize that our confession, if we don't confess the Lord, if we're not for the Lord, we're against the Lord. And don't give me that stuff. I'm too embarrassed. I've seen how you carry on. Well, right now, if I ask you, how's your grandkids? You pull out pictures on your phone. I'd stand there for 45 minutes watching you do this and that. And you'd tell how. And, and by the way, by the way, young lady, if that young man is afraid to confess, that you're his girlfriend, you better get you another one. If he's ashamed of you, you better get you another one. And vice versa. (laughs) Why would you be ashamed of the Lord? We don't have to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. He brought us out of our sins and changed our life. We have no reason to be ashamed of him. He invited us to come to him. And he said, if you come, he said, I'll take your burdens and I'll change your life. And the invitation goes out. Whosoever will, let him come. You can come to Christ. So you ought to profess it. You ought to be proud of the fact that you're saved. Is there anyone proud that you're a Christian? Are you proud that you're on your way to heaven? Isn't it good to say in the middle of all this chaos, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Good to be proud to be a Christian. Here's one. Don't worry, I'm coming to a close. Take a deep breath. I have habits that I've tried to quit and I know that I have to quit it to be saved and I can't quit those habits. Well, that's your problem. Someone has told me on multiple times, different individuals, they've told you the same thing. I'd like to be saved, but I can't live it. Well, you can't live it till you get it. And the reason why the habits that you can't quit that hinders you from coming to the Lord is because you're trying to get rid of those of your own power and your own might. And there's some things that in our weakness, the devil will make sure that we even get weaker with that because we can't quit it. And by the way, once you profess Christ and you mess up and you fall into sin, you repent of that immediately. It doesn't mean that you're not going to fall into traps and snares of the fowler. It's going to happen. It happens to all of us all the time. Call it whatever you want to call it. You just do wrong and you've got to understand God loves you. Just because your children do wrong, it doesn't mean that when they say, I'm sorry that you're not going to wrap your arms around Yeah, there may be some punishment and other things that go along with that, but you're going to love them and you're going to help them. You say, well, it's, it, salvation 
It can't work like that. It doesn't, I've, I've got to quit this before. It doesn't matter to you, but it matters to me. No, you're getting the order wrong. And you get the order wrong in anything. You get anything out of order with God. God is a God of order. Let me repeat that. God is a God of order. You're not gonna like when I go into the next part of the series if you don't get that. God is a God of a God of order. He's very precise on what he does. He's very intricate on what he does. Last Sunday morning, I dealt with just a little part of that, how precise that he is. You say, well, yeah, but preacher, it just... It just doesn't matter like that. I, I, I've got to do that first, really. What well, does matter? It does matter that you get saved first and then let the Lord help you. Some things have to come first. Well, let me put it this way. Today, let's say you are having lunch with your spouse and the local director, funeral director, says, hey, I'd like your spouse to go with me. I'm gonna bury your spouse today. They're not dead. Oh yeah, but I'm just out burying people today. I need some money. <laughs> you can't bury them until they die. You can't rise to life till you die. You can't find strength from God till you die. It can't be your power, it has to be his power. On resurrection day when my body comes out of the grave, it's not going to have one thing to do with me, my power, my ability, it is God that has all power that'll raise the dead. And by the way, it's the same God that has that power that when we're crucified with Christ, he raises us from that life of death because we are dead in our sins and transgressions. The major excuse I hear is this. I'm coming. I'm going to accept the invitation, but just not today. Good intention. And they're not lying. They have every intention of getting saved and they have every intention of coming to the Lord. Just not today. But unfortunately, today is the day. Now is the accepted time. Because God doesn't deal with time like you and I deal with time. He deals with events. And the events set his time clock. And the events fall into coordination with his order. And his order today was that you are here or you are listening to this message and God is dealing with your heart. And today he's saying, will you come? Now, if you refuse to come, I'm not saying that you won't have another opportunity. I don't know that because he's God. But I will say this, if you have a hundred more opportunities, every time you say no to the Lord, you make it easier to say no the next time. And pretty soon, you'll have no problem setting through an invitation and not even thinking about the Lord. You'll have no problem 
saying, there'll always be another service. There'll always be another time. I'm going to, preacher, but just not today. Hosea 6.2 is an interesting passage of scripture. You can read it when you go home. There's two interpretations of that scripture, Hosea 6.2. Some feel it's only in reference to Israel. But some feel it's a prophecy that there will be an end time revival before Jesus comes again. And I know, I know scripture. I, I don't know maybe as much as a lot of you, but I, I know scripture in the fact that I know the love of many will wax cold. I know there'll be a falling away, but it doesn't say there's a falling away everywhere. And just like that revival after the third day, two days and yet the third, there will be a revival. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus came. A day is as 1,000 years. He may be giving one last opportunity because we do serve a God of mercy and grace. I personally feel there will be an end time revival. And I feel right now, well, I know right now it's going on. I apologize in one way for not being here on Wednesday night and in another way I don't apologize uh, because of the meeting that we were in. It was more than just their kindness their little church is, it's unbelievable. I mean, Candy was with me on Wednesday night. It's unbelievable. People standing out on the front porch, Sunday school rooms open off to the side. They can't get the people in. They can't get money to build on. They're, they're just, they're, they've outgrown themselves. Uh, I mean, it's, it's that the week before up at Yankee Hill, they considered closing down the road to try to make room for the people because the people couldn't, they couldn't find parking and they couldn't get inside the church. The week before the revival went on, another night. It's happening. It's happening. Why not here? Do you have any problem finding a parking place this morning in our lot? There's seats available. See, what's happening is he's rocking the church to sleep. And he's saying, you're going to have plenty of time to get your loved ones in. But you hear me and you hear me good. Because I don't want you to be caught away. And I don't want your loved ones to say, why didn't anyone Tell me. Why didn't anyone tell me about Jesus? Why didn't they invite me to church? Why didn't they invite me to Christ? I'm sorry that this is plain, but if I'm going to be here, I'm gonna, if I'm going to be your pastor, I'm going to preach plain to you. You're going to understand it. We cannot let the world dictate the spirituality of the church. The church is to be the thermostat for the world, not the world the thermostat for the church. And you can't have a revival 
when it fits into the time when you're not doing anything. I got called for a meeting this week and they said, we'd like to have you because it's between this and it's between that and that's the only time my people come. I said, I won't be there. You don't want revival. You want convenience. (laughs) You might not like me, but you'll understand me. We are running out of time. And the biggest thing is, it all starts with burdens for the lost. Caring for people. Tears on the altar. Inviting others. You that are here today that's lost, somebody loved you enough to invite you and bring you and they've trusted me to preach the gospel to you. But now you're without excuse. Because I just read the last invitation in the Bible. What if this is your last invitation in life? What will you do?